Hello everybody, this is Tom Harrison and Ken Krogh. Today we've got Kelly Bodden and Annie Weipert up from southern Utah where it's a little bit warmer right now. Yes. Thanks yes. for making the drive. It's so exciting to have you guys here. They're Thank you. Eagle Thank Mountain, correct? Eagle, Eagle Ranch. Ranch. Eagle Ranch. Yeah, Sorry. Eagle Mountain this way, Eagle Ranch I'm that way. I'm <laughs> thinking Eagle Ranch. Eagle you Ranch. got the Eagle Ranch. That's right. where the Eagles <laughs> yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us. We had a beautiful visit with them a few weeks ago. Um, they've agreed to be part of our Eternal Core Conference. Now, the two of you have a little bit different roles and responsibilities. Maybe you could take a minute and walk us through what the two of you do day to day. Okay. Um, I am the clinical director for Eagle Ranch Academy, okay. which is a residential treatment center for youth um, ages 12 to 17. Okay. And so um, I'm the director over the operations over there. And that's a bit of a different challenge than working with adults. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> working with the adolescents, is a, there's, there's a lot. We're co, um, a comorbidity uh, diagnosis facility, so uh -huh. a co-diagnosis um, facility. So. We treat mental health and substance abuse, both. Okay. And so we get a wide variety of clients um, in, our, in our population and in our community. Yeah, that adolescent brain is different than a child brain and adult brain. And I take my hat off for anyone who works with adolescents <laughs> because I understand that from a neurocognitive standpoint. And I just, I wish when I had adolescents, I have six children that Heavenly Father could just kind of freeze them for a while and then I could move back. But, but we allowed them to move through it. They, they all made it through it. It was amazing. I always thought my daughters like, um, were invaded by aliens as soon as they turned 15. <laughs> That's well like, said. who are you? Yeah. I don't know you anymore. <laughs> invaded by aliens. That's good. And it seems to be around that age 15. Yeah, yeah that was my... So it's younger now. It's starting to get yeah. younger, yeah. Wow. We're like seeing 12s. more oh 12 and 13-year-olds. Yeah. Wow. Kelly, tell us about your role. So I am the director over the outpatient services, and I serve the community, Washington County community, with both adolescents and adults. And I do a lot of family work um, because adolescents, if they're coming to see me, then we got to deal with some of the family right. stuff, too. Now, a lot so. of our community members in Eternal Cord, they know about what outpatient residential, but, but redefine for us what outpatient is versus residential. Tell us what those so terms mean, if you don't mind. Outpatient is um, you, you live at home and you yeah. come in and you do individual counseling or you bring the family in and we do family counseling or group counseling or you may be there for three hours a day working on like mm -hmm. an intensive kind of an outpatient. Mm -hmm. okay. And so, but then you go home at night. Versus so. residential? In residential, they live on campus, so they're living um, on our campus. Okay. And we still do individual and intensive family work, too. Um, a, a lot of it, because our, our kids are from all over the country, we do it through video conferencing um, so that there's some face-to-face uh, -face connection with parents and their kids. Oh, um, um, but they're typically, we're a long-term um, residential facility, so they're typically there between 10 and 12 months. I remember back in the 70s well where parents would say, my child is totally out of control and you fix him and then yeah. send him back to the family. And I'm sure it still goes on today. But, you know, when we said, no, this is all inclusive, you all need to be in therapy. You all need to be involved. This, you might have identified this teenager as the identified patient, but 
everyone needs to work on this problem and what's going on. And it's wonderful to know that 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 is just where you are. You say, if, if this child's going to be in treatment, so are you. So are you. Yeah. So are you. It's a family systems yeah. problem. Family systems. Everybody yeah. has yes. their piece um, that brings into a child ending up in treatment, especially in residential treatment. It's kind of the last step. Um, they've tried outpatient. They've tried intensive. They've tried, you know, partial hospitalization. None of those things worked. And so residential treatment is usually kind of their last hope in, in okay. trying to bridge what their family ask is what's, together. What's the profile of client versus outpatient versus resident? But saying it's, so it's further down the path. Yeah. It's further down, down the path. Yeah. yeah, they're getting riskier and riskier and riskier with their behavior. Wow. Mm. It and seems so. that as soon as they're no longer willing to follow through with what mom and dad or outpatient therapist has given them those guidelines and they're still mm -hmm. bucking the system and they're still not willing to follow through with expectations or rules. It's my way and it's not going to be any other way. I can do what I want. And that's coming from your 13-year-old who's ruling oh the house goodness. where it's, it's time. Um, and for some of our adolescents who have really lived on the streets and their addictions and um, it's a safety thing. They're saving their kids' lives. Um, that's what they. That's what they're. They're looking for. I need to save my child's life. What What are the challenges the typical adolescent has when they're coming to you? What, what What have they been through by the time they get to you guys? You want to start with outpatient. Well, when they when I see them in an outpatient level, they're they may be uh, dabbling in self destructive behaviors. You know, self harm kind of what stuff. What does that look like? Um, sometimes it's cutting, sometimes they're burning their skin, sometimes they're, um, you know, they're, they're threatening, you know, I just want to die. Uh, they may mm -hmm. be running away, they may be uh, staying out all night yeah. and not coming home, but then coming home mm -hmm. and, and figuring it out for like a week right. or two. Right? Eating poorly. Eating poorly, sleep alcohol, is bad. drugs. Right. And then yeah. the drugs and the alcohol, right. all of that starts coming into it, you know, too. Right. And so when it gets to a certain level, you can't, um, you know, in an outpatient level, if there's a lot of drug use or alcohol use going on, they really need the residential level mm -hmm. of care because at mm -hmm. that point you're not going to stop. Mm -hmm. You know, their peer group, it's, it's all inclusive mm -hmm. and now they can't get away from it. So you almost have to remove them from the environment. In my early training, I remember hearing over and over again, you know, how the brain is an organ that's not connected with the heart or not connected with the gut or not connected with the body and we would just treat the brain or 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 we would move them and we'd say okay you need to treat the heart and then when you're done then we'll treat the brain where now we understand that it's this whole system, system and system. everything is connected yep. and if all the organs in the body are these system which all come together so are the emotions and Correct. so are the familial problems yep. because I think I think families and organs mirror each other. You know, if there's chaos here, then there's chaos here. Yeah, yes. If there's chaos here, then there's chaos here. And yeah. I'm glad that we've moved as a profession to look at things much more system oriented and holistic and realize that all those processes of how the body is made also has to do with 
when the body or when the brain gets in trouble, Correct. you have to treat that whole system. Whole you have thing. to deal with all the systems. Yeah. Well, we have to um, tell you that we've gotten to know in a short period of time a lot of people in your industry. And both of you have a pretty good reputation. Your names precede you. So thank you for joining us. We were, we were just talking about outpatient. Sorry to throw that in there, but, but it's a thrill to have you with us, and, and we appreciate it. Let, let's, so what's the typical profile then once they've gotten outpatient to our move into residential? residential. What, what's usually the catalyst to make that change? Um, like I said, they, all the other types of um, interventions are not working. Um, mm. They need that removal from the environment. Um, it gets to the point where they're sitting in an outpatient and, and that outpatient therapist just knows they're holding their breath until they can leave the office and, and go and do what they want again. Um, and so it's, it's taking them out of that environment um, completely. It kind of rocks their world a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing um, you know, kids with significant trauma. There's a lot of um, trauma, I, I would say, is probably really taking the front stage a lot with our clients who have had um, some significant abuse when they were children, didn't know how to cope with it, hit adolescence, started self-medicating, um, and, and then adding on top of that the depression and, and, and anxiety and the PTSD from their trauma to where they don't want to live anymore. And you have, you have clients that if they're not in a, a 24-hour type environment, they're going to kill themselves because wow. they no longer want to be alive anymore. We have a we have a client right now that, you know, that's been that's been their history, um, and they're only like 13, 14 years old, but already have had several attempts on their life prior to coming into residential treatment. You have to forgive us. Tom has been in this 41 years. Um, I'm I'm the guy. I'm the entrepreneur who. Is still even learning the lingo, so I'm going to be the one that represents everybody in Eternal Core that says, "Now, yeah. I need you to define trauma for me, and I need you to do PTSD." <laughs> and Tom's like, "Okay, let me go deeper on that." And I'm saying, "No, no, let's go. Let's start at the beginning." But maybe, I mean, um, there is a language, isn't yes. there? There's a specific yeah. language that you start learning to even to interact well in in outpatient in yep. residential treatment. But you mentioned the word trauma. Well, what does that usually look trauma like? Trauma is usually either experienced, personally experienced, or witnessed. And, and it really is on an individual basis. It's because what can be traumatic for one child, another child can be more resilient to whatever they're exposed to, and they don't experience any trauma. Um, usually when we're talking about the brain, it hijacks that brain. And your brain, the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system, really is hijacked and going off the rockets and you know, neuro the neurotransmitters, right, are just firing left and right because they really feel like their lives are in danger. Wow, um, yeah. And whether it be through physical abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence in the home, or even some of these places um, who've experienced earthquakes or, you know, hurricanes and things like that, destruction that have ripped through their town or city, a tornado wow. or something like that, that creates it and then after the fact, it creates high levels of anxiety, flashbacks, nightmares. It really does a havoc in the body. And a lot of our youngsters start to disassociate, which means that they separate themselves from their body so they don't feel anything anymore. Yeah. And you have to teach them how to experience their body as a whole all over again. So you experience some dissociation mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. 
So we have these parts in our brain that they really do a good job, but if they get going, like the amygdala, if it, yep. if it becomes overreactive, it can create profound anxiety and panic attacks. And, and, you know, all it does is just live off that trauma trigger. And so, you know, these kids can come in where one child will go through it and come out of it okay, but another child will come out of it horribly damaged or unable to recoup that which was functional in their life before the trauma. So that's why we have these great programs to help these kids almost reestablish or learn that we can move back into those things and learn to calm that amygdala down and calm those brain that brain activities down so that it can it can move back into more normal rhythm or normal process of life. Wow. Yeah. Tell us how you two got into this profession. I mean, what brought you here? I love the story you told me out there. Do you mind? So, um, when I was um, 12 years old, um, started my own path of addiction. And I, I grew up in a home. My father was an alcoholic. Um, my mom was uh, raised LDS um, and had very strong um, faith values. Um, and he was an abusive alcoholic. He, they divorced when I was five years old. Um, but I saw a lot of, there was a lot of trauma there when I was a child. And when I was about 12 years old is when my memories started coming back of what was happening when I was, when I was a child. And um, that's when I started getting in trouble. I started self-medicating, um, fell into addiction with drugs and alcohol, running away, spent many a night in the streets in Las Vegas. Mm. Um, my mom had no idea where I was at. And um, I, I had an experience when I was 16, and I had a drug overdose. Mm. And um, wow. I remember being in the emergency room, in the St. George emergency room at Dixie, Regional Hospital, and all this stuff was coming at me. The doctors were in my face. My mother was crying over me because she thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And I remember having a very simple prayer, um, saying, God, I need you to help me. I have so much to do in this life. I am not ready to go. And, um, and, I, t and I made a promise right then and there. I said, I am going to... Um, changed my life around. And so it was with my faith. I, I dove into um, connecting with my higher power, connecting spiritually, um, building that piece up. Meanwhile, I have a, a, a younger brother. Um, he is two and a half years younger than I am. And um, he started experimenting with drugs and alcohol at age 13. And, and it just railroaded him. Um, he has passed away since, um, uh, three years ago, from an wow. opioid addiction. Sorry to hear that. And I really feel the biggest difference between himself, him and myself was our spiritual connection with our Heavenly Father. That was our, that's the biggest difference. That was night and day, um, huh? He could, never, he could never get a hold of it. Um, there was a period of time when he was in treatment for about seven months, he started opening his scriptures and reading the Bible and started praying. And I remember he called me um, and he said, Annie, I'm, 
I can, I, I understand. I understand, you know, the importance of Christ in your life. I understand that. Um, but it couldn't, he couldn't keep a hold of it. And not long after he had relapsed, but, um, and as I said, his addiction overtook him and he, and he passed away. Mm. And, um, and so my journey um, through in my own life led me to, this is the work that I want to do. It's important for, fam for family work to be done. Um, it's important for, for adolescents, particularly adolescents, to know the connection and have a purpose. Yeah. And the only way that I can really see that happening is a spiritual connection. Um, something greater than yourself, something that provides you with that with that answer to that question, why am I here? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? And I think this is our 30th vidcast. Yes. If I remember We're correct. moving quick. <laughs> but isn't it amazing how many of the really excellent programs and those who are really good at what they do have a very similar background that yes. they have gone through this journey and now they're giving the benefit of that to all these other people who are going through a similar journey. Can I ask you a hard question? Mm -hmm. what, what percentage, when you're working with these people day in and day out, comes from who you are and what you've experienced versus what you've learned and gone to school for? You know, it's, it's funny. It's because That's a hard question. I remember when I first um, got out of school and I, and I was brand new as a therapist and I'm working in a residential treatment center and I'm asking that to my colleagues, like, like what theories do you use? You know, like what yes. type, what modalities do you use in your treatment? And they said, you know what? Behind closed doors, you have all the knowledge, but it's your life experiences it's the heart connection that you create, that therapeutic alliance that you create, which is a heart connection with your clients. That's what's going to help. That's what's going to help them connect to anything else you want to teach them. Everything that you learned in the books, everything else, if you can create that heart connection and they know that you care about them and you know that they know that you're genuine in your, your desire to reach out and help them, um, it'll open them up and you start working. And... And it, it does help. I was a master manipulator when I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm like, I, you guys don't have nothing yeah. on me, yeah. right? I'm like, yeah. I've been there, yeah. done that. And you can call them on their stuff. Absolutely. You know? yeah. can, I know that one. And, and I know the next sentence, the too. The next direction. And I know yeah. what you're going to do tonight. Yeah. because. I've what been are your thoughts, so Kelly? That's a hard question I just asked. Yeah, it is a hard question because I believe in the education and the training, yes. the continual training. I've yes. learned so much over these last years, right. uh, especially about trauma. Um, but it is the relationship that the trusting relationship, just as Annie is talking about, it's people connecting and being able to trust that what I'm doing and what I'm helping them with, they, they know that. Yeah. They're safe and they're secure and they can grow and they can express and they can talk about all the stuff they need to talk about. And, and then you use your education, you know, like with yeah. the brain and stuff yeah. and help them understand some things that maybe gives them a, a different way to look at things that kind of brings yeah. on some healing too. But it's, it's about the relationship. Wow. Well, and Kelly has 
I mean, she has her own story. Tell us in, your story, in going into this. Well, <laughs> <laughs> do you mind? Is, no, I, I know it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. They call it a um, core story. Yeah. You know, and that's that's where we've seen this beautiful experience come out, and we yeah. captured some amazing stories right there in those chairs. Here. And that's where it started with us, our yeah. own core story of of what moved us from this to this. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'll give you the fast first piece and then the hard really second hard second piece but um, I sold real estate while I was raising kids that gave me flexibility mm. to to get my kids to all of their things I I loved I didn't like real estate that great I felt like I was a counselor in a car taxi drive a taxi <laughs> cab driver counselor and my dream was always to be, I love psychology, I always have, but I was told when I was in college, when I first, you know, when mm -hmm. I first came out of high school. So that you only I got wouldn't. paid at the closing, huh? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, only paid at the closing. So anyway, my son and his girlfriend, um, they, they got pregnant when he was a junior in high school. And, you know, at that moment, my life changed so much. And I went back to school and I just thought, you know, my grades were terrible in high school. I didn't feel like I could ever do it, so I never pursued it. And when that happened, um, you know, I went back to school and I, I, I just went back to school. And, you know, I, um, by 2004, I was graduated with a master's degree and working in, in a facility, started as a part-time staff and just kind of moved my way up. And, you know, it was, e it, it felt easy, not easy, but it felt like the right place. It yeah. just felt like the right place for me to be. And so I've loved every minute of it. And my career in, in the psychology field and treatment world started in 98. And so I've loved every minute of that journey. And in 2008, um, in August of 2008, my son, passed away mm. um, from, a, from a fatal car accident where his blood alcohol level was at a 0.24. Mm. Wow. And um, I was actually at the academy when I got the news and, um, you know, my life changed forever in that moment. And so, you know, I went through a lot of stuff after, after he passed away. I think the first year I, I felt you know, and I don't understand this piece except for the spiritual. It, it, it sent me on this spiritual journey, which I, I really hadn't been on. I, I dabbled here and dabbled there in, in, you know, with church and some of those kind of things, but I'd never really felt the spiritual connection. And this took me on that spiritual journey. And, and that first year I had so much peace and I really felt like he was always with me. But then the second year happened and it started to go away and I started getting angry and then I lost my job and then my my great big beautiful dog died and then one of my best friends died and then my stepdad who's really my dad died and then I it just it like for five years it was just smack 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 and and I I went uh, I relapsed uh, for a little bit, I'd drink a glass of wine every night, and I got a job where I didn't have to think too much. I was an intake therapist at a detox center, which re-traumatized me over and over because I heard the same story mm. when they were sitting in that chair of my son, and but they were alive, 
and my son was not. Wow. And um, so it was, it was really hard. Um, in 2012, I decided I need to get out of the addiction world. It was just too much. And so I moved back to St. George and I started working at, uh, um, at that point it was Biggest Losers Fitness Ridge in St. Mm -hmm. George, Utah. Mm -hmm. It's not there any longer. It's a different company. But so I was working more in, in weight loss and you know, and it gave me time to heal. And Maybe we can talk after the show. I need a little bit of help there right now. Yeah. We can solve that friends <laughs> forever. Right. So, um, and I started meditating. And I started feeling that peaceful feeling again. And I started meditating every morning. And I have never stopped since wow. 2012. And I, my connection, my spiritual connection anymore is, um, I call on it all the time when I'm sitting in front of people that have a story that is just excruciating. And I, in my head, I'm thinking, I, I need help with this one. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where stuff comes from. Some of it's education and the rest of it's inspiration. Mm -hmm. And stuff comes out of my mouth and I don't know, I don't know why or where, mm -hmm. but it makes me know that you know, everything happens for a reason, and I don't like how I've gotten to this point. I'd have my son alive in a minute. I'd wish I had five more minutes with him, but, um, you know, it sent me on this journey, and I'm, I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So. Before the vidcast, you told me about eight basic principles that you rely on. Could we talk about those, and could you expound on those a bit? I love them. So um, Eagle Ranch Academy is a value-based program. It's based on eight core values of accountability, honesty, forgiveness, acceptance, integrity, trust and respect, and service. Wow. And um, each one of those values um, are introduced to the youth. And, and when I say introduce, I should say reintroduce, is right. because most parents have tried to teach these values to their children since they were young. Right. And um, somewhere along the line, they forget, you know, they, they um, no longer can take accountability for their actions, and it's always somebody else's fault. Right. Yeah, that's that? probably a big one, huh? Always right. somebody yeah. else's. That's why it's our first value, yeah. um, because it's a difficult one to, to own um, the things that we've done. I know for me, that was difficult when I was a teenager to own that I've actually caused a lot of people through my addiction and my choices a lot of pain. And, and that's a hard thing to kind of face. Yeah. And so... Um, and even being accountable with self. Correct. Realizing all the yeah. damage that we do to ourselves through correct. those yeah. process. And the honesty, getting to a place where um, you can have open, honest communication with your parents. Like when you think about a 16-year-old who, you know, has made certain choices in their lives, and it might be with relationships or other things, very intimate details, feeling comfortable with mom and dad, I can talk openly and honestly with you, and, and, and it's not going to come back and be thrown in my face. That honesty is actually an, is a value to have, that people can believe what it is that you're saying to them. Um, a lot of times we have kids come in and say, I'm not going to rat out on somebody. I'm not going <laughs> to be, you know, a narc or whatever, you know, and it's, and they learn to say, I'm open and honest with you, and I'm going to hold you accountable because I care about you. It's not, I'm, not, I'm holding secrets is, is unhealthy, it's toxic, and it eats you up. Um, 
the forgiveness process is one of my favorite processes to see in the family. This is where true healing begins. Um, it's an emotional dumping ground to get those things out. Um, the kids and the parents are looking at not only what I need to forgive each other for, but what I need to ask for forgiveness for. You know, like parents who say, you know, I didn't realize that these choices, like spending so much time at work trying to provide for the family has hurt you as much as it did. I didn't realize I wasn't showing up because I was so tired coming home from work. I wasn't mm -hmm. showing up at home. I didn't realize that. And that comes out in the honesty piece. The acceptance is probably the one thing that our, our kiddos are working on from the second they walk through the door. They have to accept their in-treatment. Um, but the biggest part is the acceptance and love for self of who they are, the appreciation that they have of who they are, and that they have value and that they have worth. Mm. And um, uh, accepting that boundaries and rules and expectations are not naughty words. <laughs> They're actually something that they crave and they need. They need to have somebody tell them no. Do they come in a sequence? Yep, one right after the other. Is that they why build. they're in the order that you put mm -hmm. them? Yep. But that yeah. took a while to figure out. Yes. <laughs> with, with, with those core values, you learn this, and then you learn this, and then you have to go back and learn how this attaches with this. Correct. And so you have to... So not purely linear. They sort of circle oh, back on you, each other, huh? With each one, it's... It, you just keep circling because each one builds on the other. Correct. Yes. The, and, and, you know, the, the patient or the youth has to learn that, oh, I learned this and I accepted that, but when I learn this, now I have to accept this at a larger level and at a more significant, and that just keeps happening. And then that happens the rest of our life, doesn't right. it? Yes. That we have to just keep learning, yeah. Learning and relearning those structures. Learning to accept those values. life, right? Well, and, right. and service being the capstone of the program to really recognize that life isn't just about me. It's about everybody. It's about what I can give back and how much that really, truly builds the self-esteem. Mm -hmm. You see adolescents in, in groups, um, you know, mentoring other students who just come into the program and who are, you know, might be emotional and crying or whatever, and they're... They're right there, you know, helping them. Hey, I'm here. If you want to talk, I can help you out. Let me help you with your assignments. Do you need help in school? I'm here for you. Um, what can I do for you today? And take themselves, take it outside of themselves. That's the I versus the yes. I. Am. Yes, yes. You know that ego I versus <laughs> yes. moving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Saint George, Utah, is growing like crazy. Yes. And you know, my my mother grew up there. My grandfather and. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot that, um, you know, those who have centers there have a little bit different approach and, 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 and even promoting it and sharing it with the country. It does, is that a part of it at all? Is that, hey, this is, this is a place, you know, you, you, probably, you say you get clients from like New York and California yes. and, and they're coming to St. George, Utah. Is that, is that what, what do they think when they get there? And some of her kids are like, I've never heard of St. George, Utah. <laughs> some of the kids never heard of Utah. Of, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, where is that? What is, what is this is in Canada? Yeah. Correct. Like, I don't even know where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I remember I had a student from Washington 
um, and he was close to going home. He was about to wrap up his program, and he was close to going home. And um, we had a very tender moment in therapy, and he says, you know what? Where I live is nothing like St. George. He says, you guys, people are nice here. Like, people, <laughs> like, he's like, you know, people have a smile on their face. I don't get that. I don't get that from where I live. Everybody's so busy. Everybody has other things to do. He's like, you know, when we're out doing activities, people are like, hey, how are you doing? And they don't even know me. They're like, why are they talking to me? You know, um, I think that they get a really um, great experience of Southern Utah. We, we take the kids out on lots of activities and hikes and they get out to be in, in the hills and the mountains. Um, we do different activities, going to lakes and different things like that to get them out into nature to, again, for that spiritual connection. Um, a place oh, like Bryce and Zion's Canyon, some of the most beautiful that's places right there, in the yeah. world. And that's like it's half back an door. hour to an hour in any direction, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, exploring God-centric mental health, that's, that's the, the underlying mission of what we're doing. And, you know, we've, we've, we've talked with a lot of care providers and and some are able to openly say, hey, we're, we focus mostly in this faith-based environment and we're fairly open. Um, others say, you know, um, our clients uh, and the way we promote doesn't really allow us to be open, but we are. Um, tell us about how you deal with, with a faith-based approach. And I'm sure you've got clients from both extremes. What's, yeah. what's it like when we bring up that topic to you? I've had individuals say to me, so you guys are just saying, bring God into it or, or read the scriptures and you'll be fine. No, it's, it's the shift that takes place in the brain. Yeah. It's, it's that whole neurochemical and physiological system shift that takes place when you bring God into the equation. And when you do, then you start seeing everything differently yeah. Even therapy, or especially therapy. So, please, uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt. But no, that's okay. How do you deal with that? Well, you, because of the clients are so varied, they're so, you know, you have, you have everything from an atheist to, you know, I mean, whatever religion. Mm -hmm. right. and, and so, you know, you, you do have to work where the client's at. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Absolutely. part of it. And, and but, but there's a piece that, for me, I, I mean, just because of what I've, I just know that that's a piece. It, it's got to be somewhere in their world. And sometimes they're not ready to hear it. Sometimes they're just not ready to hear that. And so you can introduce a little piece of it. And then they've got to, they have to figure out their journey. And I, you know, um, I think sometimes that comes from, from the family work. When, when all of a sudden maybe you, you do some family work and all of a sudden they're feeling accepted by their family because they haven't for so long because of maybe the drug or the alcohol or just their, you know, what has happened and all of a sudden their family's saying, no, we accept you, we just don't accept the alcohol. We love you, we don't like the behavior. We love, you know, we want you and they start softening that hardcore that keeps them away from that that connection with God because that connection we're the only one that can connect and if we're kind of walled up we're not going no to connect. No one can do it for you. No and so we can introduce it and you see times I, I I love those times in therapy when you see these see these moments where these little lights start turning on. Yeah they turn on and it's like 
oh, it's healing. Right. It's just that little piece of healing, and it's very cool. Right. And they're starting to connect more to that. Well, and, and, and having um, uh, creating therapeutic activities that put them out, like in nature or in a group where they're meditating, and and then they start talking about this this peace, and like I don't I don't know what this feeling is. What is this feeling that I have? You know, and and um, or or feeling that strong connection with another person, heart connection with another person, and and saying I'm not, I want to know more about this. I want to I want to do this more. This feels really great. I don't know what this is about, and um, at the academy, we, we the twelve steps is built in as part of our program. They're working on. Um, but they even seen the mirror your your eight values a little bit, don't yeah. they? Almost Correct. in sequence. Correct. Yeah. Which was part of that. how we put it together. Ah. Correct. That was there was a perp th there was some purposefulness in that. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. Though, no, that's that, okay. Yeah. That's okay. Well, and and you know, step two and three, that that idea of building that relationship with a higher power and then turning your will over in that higher to that higher power. You know, they're like, what are we talking about, higher power? And sometimes it's a step up. It's a it's a built up. Okay, what's one thing in your life that you um, feel connected to one thing let's start there and it, and it builds and they take it it's a very personal journey and they take it to where it needs to be and um, I just had a, a client this week say I know that I'm a child of God this is what they said in in family therapy wow. I know it I've been reading this book about peace and I and I know this is what it is mom I know it and they're like okay Good. Now, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> it's like, now you have this knowledge. What are you going to do? And how does that shift and change your behavior? How does that shift and change your outlook and your thought process and what you're going to do with your life? And how, what do you line yourself up with now? Yeah. So it's, it's parents that make these decisions for your clients to become part of your program, I'm assuming. For it, residential treatment. Yeah. Yes. And for, so, so, you know, we have folks listening watching and parents maybe individuals um what 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 would you tell them what, what what do you say to them when they're saying okay why my kids out of control or i'm a teen i'm out of control i mean where do they go how do they how do they make those decisions and how do they know when they need your help uh i i think first um you know, and I, I try to express this because mental health is still pretty stigmatized and it shouldn't be. Yeah. It's, as, it's as normal as physical health. Mental health, physical health. If one isn't good, the other one's not going to be good either and vice versa. And so if our mental health, if our, if our mental health is, is um, you know, we're not functioning at our highest level, and maybe it's time to go talk to somebody and get get some just get some skills, get some strategies, get some you know get some direction or brainstorm about what's happening. And so for the individuals out there looking, um, you know, mental health is it's not a problem. Now, when you're talking mental health, the word brainstorm might mean a very different thing. I'm, you know, yeah, I but mean, it's, it's building ideas, but yeah. I, you know, but that makes sense. Yeah, because if you're you know if your brains if your if your brain and your serotonin and dopamine and all those things are kind of off a little bit, you're you're either experiencing depression, anxiety, mood swings, sleeplessness, 
fatigue, all of those things, which means that's telling you that something's it's, up. Yeah, it's it's not just a pill that's going to take care of it. We've got to you've got some other work to do, and it does take work. It's just it's the same as the physical, right? Yeah. We have work to do, and so and it's okay to do it, and it's okay to admit I, you know, grief and loss and depression was my life for a few years, and you know, I know what it took me to get out of that, and it wasn't me by myself. Yeah. There are so many studies that are going on now by real credible institutions looking at what they call SAD. That's the standard American diet, and how the standard American diet really aids to break to having a broken brain. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people don't correlate that in their own life. They don't, they're not looking at, well, you know, I'm constantly adjusting to my, to my standard American diet, especially during Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, every, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, pie and sugar cookies. I really go off. <laughs> and, and I think, no wonder you feel bad. Look at what you've been putting in you. Yeah. And we can talk about that until the cows come home. But it's also sad, <laughs> you know, the standard American diet of what we're putting in our brains, you know. I think people just think what we ingest through our mouth is what's causing the problem. But what are we putting into our brains, right. you know? Yeah. What is the standard American diet of what we feed our brains yes. every day? I mean, I, I love your example of the, the kid who said, what is this place, you know? I don't know this place. And has to then look at things differently from a cognitive standpoint yeah. and move it out of that old reptilian part of the brain and move it to the frontal cortex and go, holy cow, when I do this or when I think this, I feel better. Yeah. But I think most people don't look at these sad diet that we put here and that we put here. And we're not listening. But when we start to listen, it's amazing what happens. Things start changing because everything starts to be seen uniquely and differently. Yeah. I'm going to put Tom on That's the spot point. here. Now he's going to be worried for a minute. <laughs> I think it was just yesterday you were saying, Ken, I'm, I'm rethinking what we've called our conference. We've used the phrase mental health. But you've just been talking of going down a whole different path. And, and most of what you two have been talking about is not brain stuff, it's heart stuff. You know, so it's like, it's like mental, emotional, spiritual, now physical, and, and nutrition, and dietary, and, and like, so mental health seems to be a much more rich uh, and holistic experience, Absolutely. and it I is. mean, is that, is that true? Is that well, when was it labeled? It was labeled that way when we didn't have a clue about systems mm -hmm. in the body. Yeah, we knew about the about the circulatory system and the neurological system and the gastrointestinal system. But we didn't know that we had three brains. You know, we've got this one, we've got this one, and we've got this one. And these have as many neuros, neuro, neurological receiver site structures as this one up here. And when this one gets out of whack, it really affects this. Yeah. And it affects this, you know. All of them are interlinked. And when they have to work together, because yep. if they don't work together, then one of those systems is going to get broken. Yep. And if one of them gets broken, that broken system affects profoundly the others. The research yeah. says, if I have a broken gut, this 
my neurological process, my, my, my cortex structure, my cognitive structure is functioning one third less. Wow. So, you know, when we got this not working and this functioning one third less and this right. functioning one third less, we're in deep doo-doo, you know, we're on yes, our way, yes. we're on our way to the grave, you yeah. know? Well, so and, and I think we put our adolescence in the middle of that exact structure you're talking about. You know, yeah. we started our conversation with that, like maybe as a bookend, let's, let's circle back to the unique challenges of those teenage years. I mean, you're putting that as a chapter in, in what you're writing with, with your book. And, right. and the, you guys live in this world. Let's, let's talk about the teen for well, a the, minute. Well, the heart was the first organ to be created in, in that zygote body. Yes. You know, and then we just look at that heart as just this amazing pump, you know. It's so much more than just a pump. It, it creates hormonal radiation structures and all of those then hook with all of our DNA and all of our cells and say okay you are going to become part of Annie's foot and you're going to be part of the brain and so when we grow Ken as we're growing we have that heart brain connection as little kids but then, as these women know more than me, then you move into adolescence and that's when the brain says to heck with you, heart! I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not listening to any of yep. that information, and we we go rogue. Yep. We go yep. on our own and <laughs> off the grid. Yep. Off the grid, and then so and we don't report back. Right? The problem is, how many of us never come back? Mm. You know, some studies are saying 70% of the general population is just hanging out there, and they don't have any connection with yep. their heart anymore. <laughs> And if you don't have connection with your heart brain, then you're missing all of that beauty that you just yeah. talked about. You're missing seeing things as they really are, processing They're getting things. stuck there. They're getting yeah. stuck almost in yeah. adolescence. And so uh, yeah. where we get stuck is just sports, Diet Coke, hamburgers. Sports heroes. <laughs> sports rock heroes, stars. rock stars. Yeah. And that's all and there social is. Media. Social yeah. media. Yeah, yeah. Social, social media. media. So have all the sex that you want and eat all the crummy food and, and you know, drink all, all the nasty energy drinks. And, you know, they, they literally get locked into that process. And what we're saying, what I'm hearing you say is, hey, guys, there's more to life there's than that. More. And yeah. in learning that, you move on. Do you, do you think you tripped the switch in me? I mean, I have such a passion for this Absolutely. because I saw it for decades ruining people's lives. And then on top of that, we just give them a whole bunch of psychotropics and we yeah. say, this is as good as it gets, guys. Yeah. That's what well, you have to do. Baloney. You may have to take yeah. this rest of your life. Yeah, baloney, yeah. it's not as good it's as not. it gets. We've got something to offer you that is going to make you better. Well, I, yes. I can't tell you how many times after a child goes through our program and, and goes home, said, if I only just knew, Annie, if I just knew how happy I would have been that I could actually be. I've never been more happier than I have been right now in my life. I wouldn't need any of all that other garbage. Yeah. Like, I can, I can really be happy. I'm living it. It's a testament right now. I am living it. I have great relationships with my family. I have great friends. I have a good job. I'm doing amazing in school. Like everything that I used to tell myself I could never have, I'm living it right now. 
and it, and it's and it's it's what fuel it fuels my well. That's what fuels my well. To hear those that's phone your why. calls. That's why you keep doing that. Yep. Yep. And that's why we want to connect with you. And that's why we're so pleased that you've joined Eternal Core. Because we, you know, we don't need to be in competition. Right. We need to come together as a mental health community and say, this is what they offer. And it's good. And it helps people. And people get better. And this helps addicted people. And this helps you if you have a pornography addiction. And this helps you if you hate your husband or wife. <laughs> and, this, and this helps you if you don't know how to do a date night. And this helps you if your intimacy just stinks. You know, we're coming together as a community and saying, join us. Yes. We have something to offer you that is going to help you get better instead of just get by. Thank you yeah. for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, you betcha. Thank you. This is Tom Harrison, Ken Krogh, Eternal Core. We've got uh, these two wonderful ladies from Southern Utah, a little bit more suntan yeah. than the rest of us. Annie and <laughs> Kelly, they're gonna be at the conference. Absolutely. Come, listen to what they have to say. You will learn a new language which can lift you to that level we've been talking about. Thanks, everybody.